Hello and welcome to Brave Hearts Rising, a podcast dedicated to the empaths, deep feelers and dreamers of the world. I'm your host Lisa Pascoe and in these episodes we explore what it takes to create a wholehearted life, one where you thrive from the inside out. Here we value diversity, compassion, creativity and kindness because we know that the world is a brighter, more fun place to be when you are free to show up as who you truly are, not just who the world wants you to be. Thank you so much for listening. Now let's get on to today's episode. Hello and welcome to season three, episode five of the Brave Hearts Rising podcast. Today I'm talking to the delightful Charlotte Randomly. She is a menstrual health activist and educator. She is passionate about bringing gender inclusivity into the menstrual movement. She's also a facilitator with a background in social justice approaches to mental health and resilience building. Lottie describes herself as a walker between the worlds and infuses all her work with her love of folk magic and Western mysticism. She views cycle work not only as a magical practice, but as an act of embodied resistance, which can create personal and collective resilience for these challenging times. And I am so excited to share our interview today. It provides a really refreshing approach to looking at our menstrual health. I really hope you enjoy this episode. I certainly enjoyed having this conversation. So please get comfortable and enjoy. Hello, Lottie. I am so excited to have you on Brave Hearts Rising today. Thank you. <laughs> so for the listeners, I first discovered Lottie's work on Instagram and I absolutely love everything she says about cycles and being more inclusive and looking at kind of mental health from a more structural place, not just placing all of the emphasis on the individual. And I'm really excited about our conversation today because I know there is just so much like juicy stuff to cover and I know that you as a listener will get a lot from this conversation and I hope that a lot of it resonates with you too so without further ado hello hello (laughs) hi honestly I am just I am so thrilled to be here having this conversation with you I still like it still astounds me that people want to talk to me about this stuff I'm like me really like it's just yeah sometimes it feels like I'm just doing this quite weird niche (laughs) stuff so yeah it really thrills me thank you it's just such a gift when people say they want to listen and talk to me about this stuff oh you're so welcome I think your take on things is so very needed in a space where all menstrual conversations are centered around like womanhood and femininity and I read something really interesting on the on the internet that was saying, you know, using menstruation as a way to draw a line for womanhood is so problematic because obviously, regardless of whether you are born biologically a woman, I always <laughs> did that sound right. So I just wanted to frame it right. Um, I mean, the the way the way to frame it really in terms of this conversation about menstruation and. Mm-hmm. and womanhood and femininity is to just really go back to basics which is that not all women menstruate Mm -hmm. and not all menstruators are women thank you yes much better put (laughs) (laughs) and this is why I think this conversation is needed because for me as a queer woman in a queer space I have more awareness around issues than some but I, I still feel like I get it wrong and I feel like there's so much space to explore this with a really open mind because 
for me, at the heart of Brave Hearts Rising, it is about creating that world where people are free to show up as who they are, mm. regardless of what who society thinks that they should be. And, and that's why I think I've ended up interviewing quite a lot of non-binary people, because mm. it is kind of rejecting society stories about that tell you who you need to be in this world, stripping it all back and looking at how can we be inclusive of communities? Because I do like the phrase, none of us are free until we're all free. So if I'm sat here just looking at menstrual rights from the perspective of someone who is cisgendered, so born as a female, likes being female, then I'm not creating a safe space for everyone. And safe Mm. spaces are so important. People need to feel that they are seen and heard. Um, and I feel like this is the space to start those conversations so more people can see and hear more people in their communities, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So that's why it's so important to have this conversation today and why we need to have more of them. Yeah. First, I don't know lots about you and the audience <laughs> might not know lots about you. So how did you come to do this work? When did you start working with cycles? What excites you about it? Oh my gosh. Okay. So... I find this question really hard and I don't know, I don't know why it is. I think sometimes when I'm doing workshops and I'm trying to introduce myself to people, I say that this, I mean, unsurprisingly, this path wasn't linear for me. This is a kind of lots of multiple threads came together to get me to this point. I've worked in voluntary sector mental health services for over a decade as like a coach, a facilitator, an educator, um primarily doing like youth-centered work so it's like 11 to 25 year olds so that's kind of been my background for you know for over a decade and the cycle stuff where, where do I start I mean I was really really interested in reproductive health in my early 20s um after having a pretty disastrous relationship with my own body and my cycle I don't often talk about this very often but I, I feel like I'm going to start talking about it so I may as well I started taking the pill when I was about 15 took it all through my late teens into my early 20s I'm not going to kind of go on too much about the pill but I didn't have a very good experience with it but I didn't really have any faith in any alternatives um, and didn't really have the education about what else would work for me but when I finally came off the pill at 2021, I pretty much instantly got pregnant, which was a dis- absolute disaster for me at the time. And I ended up having an abortion. And that, although it was a really, really difficult time in my life, kind of became this catalyst for me to kind of think and learn more about my body and make sense of my reproductive health. So I started really getting into reading loads of like, DIY anarcho-feminist zines about you know reproductive health and periods that just kind of got me really intrigued about my body mm-hmm. I think in about my mid-20s my cycle started to become a bit more regular after like you know years of it not being so good after taking the pill and I loosely started tracking my cycle Um, just like jotting down in my diary when I had my period 
I feel like I can't, I mean, like the big turning point for me basically was I, I just read a lot. I read everything I could get my hands on about periods and about the cycle, particularly like the relationship between menstruation and feminism, menstruation and magic. A book that really, really influenced me was The Wise Wound by uh, Penelope Shuttle and Peter, what's his name? I should know his name. Peter Redgrove, I think. That book really, really influenced me. Yeah, I was just hungry for information. 2011, I came across um, the work of Alexandra Pope, um, who at that point had written a book called The Wild Genie. I met her at a workshop in Bristol and I just really, really vibed with her framework of working with the menstrual cycle, which is this idea of like aligning the cycle with the seasons. Mm -hmm. So menstruation is winter, pre-ovulation is spring, ovulation is summer, yada, yada. And that just really struck a chord with me. It really felt right. And, um, and I had some great conversations with her. And I eventually went on to do like a year's apprenticeship with her and Shani well it's a Hugo so Alexandra and Shani do do an apprenticeship like a year's apprenticeship teaching people to work with their cycles um, and thinking about the cycle as a model for self-care for managing creative projects and and also kind of thinking about it in terms of a spiritual practice (laughs) so yeah I, I trained with Red School found that a really useful time learned a lot from Alexandra and Shani I guess the thing to say is that they were a real cornerstone in terms of my understanding of my cycle and my appreciation of, of working with the whole cycle you know I think we kind of we get really obsessed about periods talking about periods ah, but we forget about the cycle as a whole yeah when we remember the cycle as a whole that that's that's super useful to us mm-hmm. um, but over the years, as my perspective on this stuff has got queerer and queerer, um, I have to I have to be really clear and say that I, Shani Alexandra's company is called Red School now. I don't align with Red School's notion that you know menstruation equals womanhood or you know like a keystone of femininity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's kind of how I got into this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing that's always interested me is you know, as somebody working in mental health is just, I think, how useful cycle awareness can be for mental health. And as someone who's like definitely navigated periods of depression and anxiety, cycle awareness has really helped me through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've always been interested in those, how those two things meld together. So ever since, ever since I did that training, I've just kind of been formulating my own practice and my own ideas about about this work and um, really letting my menstrual work being informed by folk magic and mm-hmm. a kind of animist perspective on the world and I run workshops and you know do a little bit of one-to-one work when I can but um, at the moment I'm working quite a lot in, in mental health so I don't get to do much freelance stuff at the moment. Thank you so much for sharing. Oh my goodness, there are so many things that we could talk about just within that conversation. I think like for me personally, how I got into 
learning more, working more with the cycles and really seeing their importance was just as a teenager, I really struggled with the period part. Yeah. And like there was no awareness at school. Like you didn't, you just got told about the biological act of bleeding, but you didn't get taught about any of the chemical stuff, Mm. any of the actual cycle parts Mm -hmm. of it. It was literally like, this is going to happen for X number of days a month. Be prepared. That's it. And so for me, like a having like maybe like a day off school quite regularly because I would just be like crying and anxious and not wanting to go in. And then when I got a bit older, that was like turned into kind of self harm. And I just remember that feeling of the dark tunnel, you know, like everything is terrible that you know like things are never going to get better but not realizing that actually that was probably now having looked back was just a lot of chemical withdrawal of the different hormones and had I had the awareness and just given myself permission to say you know what you're going to feel a bit crap today (laughs) just eat the chocolate watch the film I know that's quite reductive but just giving yourself permission to go with what is and not believing all of the feelings like the end of the world feelings and I see that a lot for other people now who maybe aren't tapping into things or are pushing 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 when their body is really asking for them to slow down and I think that's why your message resonates a lot with with me because I talk a lot about the season cycles and sanity and it is interweaving Mm. the different pieces it's like listening to your body cycle whether that's your period or your energetic cycle it's listening to your own rhythms, then looking kind of at the moon cycles as well, yeah. like what's going on. And then bigger than that, looking at the seasons yeah. and doing all of it for our mental health ultimately, because I yeah. do think that, that, that the core of looking after ourselves is, is kind of listening. And I think this is where the peace comes in that maybe we can talk about now. Yeah. <laughs> it is around is around the conversation at the moment so much around mental health and so the self-care industry I think if we talk about that Mm. is around the individual and all of the responsibility is placed on individuals it's very much become quite commercial buy the things go to the spa and I will say now I like the spa there is nothing wrong with looking after yourself I think we can take some responsibility for our own self-care and our well-being but that is only part of a picture there is a much bigger picture here and that is society and like the structures within society that actually mean that for many there is a lot of other pressures going on and it isn't just as simple as taking a few days out every month and you'll be amazing so I would love to know like your take on this as someone who's worked in the mental health industry who's quite passionate around this like yeah what is your take on the individual versus structural (laughs) issues oh my gosh it's such a good question and one that I feel really really just so strongly about my sense is that a lot of mainstream narratives around mental health are just are exactly what you, you're describing. They really put the burden of responsibility on the individual. And I think that's really problematic. I also think it's quite lazy mm-hmm. um, because it's, it's just more straightforward, isn't it? If we just put the burden of responsibility on, on the individual to get well, we don't have to look at all the structural shit that's 
that's going on around them. We don't have to go, hmm, maybe, you know, maybe you are experiencing, you know, multiple different forms of oppression. Maybe you're living in poverty. Maybe we, we, we just go, hmm, let's, you know, let's just focus on you and get you well. A lot of the work that I've done over the years has been to try and challenge that. Um, so I work with young people a lot. Um, so I worked in an organization that, that, that worked mainly with 11 to 25 year olds. And what I would often say to young people I was working with is, what if you're having a healthy response to a really unhealthy world or a really unhealthy situation? And I think that at least two thirds of the young people that we worked with, um, that was what was happening. You know, they, these, these were young people who were just having really reasonable responses. Mm-hmm. Pretty shit situations. I um, founded and co-produced a, um, a resilience building program called Resilience Lab, which is it's now delivered to like thousands of young people across Bristol and South Gloucestershire. Mm-hmm. When I started that, I, I was kind of caught up in the narrative of the individual. I was like, yes, if only we could just reach young people and give them all these skills and techniques, then they'll be fine. You know, I really believed that when I started. That was the kind of narrative that was doing the rounds at the time. Mm-hmm. But the more I did that work and I delivered those workshops with other young people, the more I saw just how, just how it was just way more complex than that. I think particularly with well-being and resilience building work, that terminology and that, that stuff has been really misused to almost like a kind of sticking plaster over much bigger structural inequalities and oppression that people are experiencing. The government spent millions on resilience building programs in the last, you know, last decade, five years, decade. And I think that says, that says a lot. It's easier to tell people to be well and focus on themselves. Mm-hmm. Than it is. Um, yeah. And yeah. the image that comes to mind is almost one of a forest where you have all these trees and you can focus on making individual trees well. But if the soil is fundamentally the problem, then it's yeah. just gonna it doesn't matter how resilient you become, you just <laughs> exactly you're still gonna have to keep bouncing back and bouncing back, and that's exhausting. You need to stop the issue in the first place. Oh my right. goodness. And the soil, that's a really good that's a really good metaphor. And that's one of the ones I use actually is mm-hmm. Know, this idea of like if you're growing a little seedling you don't just like go to the seedling hey seedling here have some you know ideas about how to grow better like if the seedling's not growing well mm-hmm. you you look at you know you look at the soil you look at the conditions around the seedling before you start just you know poking at the seedling itself exactly and that's so important i think this can feel quite overwhelming for us deep feelers this topic because you know obviously it's it's much easier to focus on ourselves sometimes than look at the structural is there anything practically we can do in all of this is it about us having more conversations is it about taking this to the workplace like Mm. how can we start to effect change in a meaningful way it starts with just having this conversation right i think Mm -hmm. and inviting other people to do the same um I think it's always really important that we remember that it's not an either or thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like, okay, so let's not focus on self-care and well-being. Let's just look at the structural stuff. We have to do 
both together. Mm -hmm. This is almost like another conversation really, but a whole other topic. But I did some work where we, I ran a, with some good friends of mine, ran a, a summer school for 16 to 25 year olds that was about reframing activism as a form of self-care. Mm -hmm. So thinking about how activism is a, can be a radical form of self-care. On that summer school, we kind of educated young people about like local radical histories in Bristol so that they could see that there were people before them that had affected change on different issues in the city. And then, you know, gave them lots of ideas and skills and techniques for how to organize and campaign. But from the premise of always inviting the possibility of what if this is self-caring? What if this is like good for our mental health? I feel like we totally got on, gone off on it. Totally. No, that's that's fine. <laughs> I think that's the the beauty of Brave Hearts Rising conversations is they go where they need to go, and the people who listen will mm. get what they need from it. And I think mm. we don't have enough spaces for open, just open conversations that go deeper. I think there's so much fear, and this comes up a lot. I think in my conversations with people, and, it, and I include myself in this. There's so much fear getting it wrong saying the wrong thing that people become closed off and just mm. unwilling to get vulnerable mm. we need people to be willing to get vulnerable to get it wrong to have to apologize for getting it wrong and just like doesn't make you a bad person getting mm. things wrong like but we have to keep tr trying for the sake of each other I think it's really important yeah. I think you know like and that's where that's the ripple effect isn't it so we can look at ourselves we can look after ourselves and our self-care and that then has a ripple effect because then we'll talk to other people and maybe we'll expand the way that they think about things and the more we can kind of I don't know invite people in yeah to community the better because we we do live in bubbles it's this yeah. you know algorithms <laughs> mean that yeah. we see more of what we like and in our day-to-day -day, unless you're actively seeking it out different out you generally will end up hanging out with people who think the way that you do and believe the way that you know believe the things that you believe and so very rarely do we have healthy spaces to challenge so even with these conversations obviously I'm having conversations with people who do have similar thoughts to me but it's my hope that the listeners won't have heard some of these perspectives. It's my hope that I invite people in that aren't normally being heard outside of yeah outside yeah. of their circles, if that makes sense. That's why my kind of logo is a lighthouse. It's about mm. shining a light on different ways of <clears throat> thinking about things. Um, and that's why, you know, I really wanted you on here today because I think this talking about cycles and including the queer perspective <clears throat> is yeah. so important because for me it is really problematic that we're talking so much about feminine power and everything being centered around your womb as your power for yeah. a start like that I and I can't quite explain it to other people so maybe you'll be able to shed some light on my feelings I don't know. <laughs> but like intuitively for me it feels exclusive it, because not everybody has a womb everyone who has a womb wants a womb and yeah. it, it feels quite reductive to just say like and I know it can be like the seat of your creativity and things 
but I am not personally, I don't get called to kind of do womb magic stuff yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what is your take on the womb magic, the, all of this really, the centering of the feminine within the world of menstruation? Oh my gosh, wow, big question. Um, okay, so I did a lot of womb work mm-hmm. about 10 years ago. I trained in a shamanic approach, a European shamanic tradition that is gynocentric, that centers the womb. And I found those practices like really magical and really Mm -hmm. useful and really empowering. But the deeper I got into that work and the deeper that I worked with that, those practices, the less and less those practices became about gender and about being a woman, Mm -hmm. femininity, they just were these cool practices. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people would disagree with me because there's still a really deep alignment of like, okay, so womb work is you know, this kind of biological essentialism that like, if you have a womb, you're, you know, you've got to identify as a woman, you're a woman. Working with my cycle has been, has been one of those practices. Mm-hmm. A, you know, a very, very simple practice is imagining that there is like a golden cord that runs up through my womb, up through my body, up through up to the top of my head that kind of tethers mm-hmm. to the sky, but also tethers down into the earth through me. Mm-hmm. I find that really useful for grounding and um, and just feeling more tethered to this world. Mm-hmm. And I think for those of you people listening, if, if you've had a hysterectomy or something, you can just talk about womb space, can't you? Absolutely, yeah. And I feel like in all of this, so... <laughs> For the, for the women listening who feel really kind of attached to the womb work, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with womb work. I'm, what I'm shining a light on here is the centering of talks about womanhood as like the most important thing. So like one of the questions I had was, how do you separate this notion of femininity and cycles for people who identify as like non-binary or trans, like what would you say to that? Yeah, I mean, for me, as somebody whose gender feels really liminal, like we have to make our own meaning out of this, from this stuff. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, it just seems really obvious to me, like you can menstruate and not identify as a woman. There are lots of like trans, genderqueer, non-binary folks who have cycles and mm-hmm. are menstruating. And at the same time, you can identify as a woman and not have a cycle, you know, and not menstruate at all. So this thing where we start ascribing menstruation to, to womanhood, it just doesn't make sense to me because not all women menstruate and not all menstruators are women. Mm-hmm. For me, my work now is about just reminding people that, you know, cycle magic is for people of all genders working with your cycle, you can work with your cycle, be any gender or none. I really just want to invite more possibility and more Mm -hmm. reimagine the meaning of menstruation. 
and that's kind of what I feel like I've been doing for myself for like the last five, you know, four or five years now. The real turning point for me was when I had my daughter and I just suddenly really became acutely aware of just how absurd and damaging and boring the gender binary really is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I just, it's <laughs> limiting, it's harmful, it's boring. And my gosh, I just, uh, just came up against that so much when I was pregnant and when I had Tavi. And that was the real catalyst for me in terms of just, I didn't have the lang- I didn't have the, the language for what was happening for me at that time. Mm-hmm. But after I had Tavi, I, I spoke to a lot of my queer friends and just started having braver, bolder conversations about this stuff with people. And yeah, then started formulating a language and making sense of this stuff in a, in a, you know, from a queer centered perspective. And, and the funny thing is, is that now I've been doing it for so long that it just, it just, it doesn't seem weird to me. And that, but then when I, or like unusual to me, but then when I go back into other circles or I like look on Instagram and I see other people doing cycle work, I'm often quite like shocked because they're still talking about it as like, this is women's stuff. No, but I think that's what I wanted to shine the light on with all of this is that it's not just Mm -hmm. about women in this very essentialist meaning. And I was going to ask, because you you do talk about cycle magic is for everyone, whatever your gender. So what I wanted to ask is what, what does that look like? What does cycle magic look like? Oh, that's such a lovely question. So for some folks that will look like working intuitively with their menstrual cycles. Mm -hmm and perhaps approaching their cycle like it's their cycle is a teacher that has wise information and support for them okay so you talk about cycle magic being for everyone whatever your gender what might that look like for for different people it looks like working with the rhythm of different cycles that you want to align that you want to align with so you know folks who menstruate in a way are are really blessed because they have this extra cyclical lens to to explore and play with and look at the world through on a very basic level i i work with the rhythm of my cycle so i kind of try and align what i do in my life around my cycle so i try and rest more when i menstruate and i try and do kind of like more outward facing work when I'm ovulating because the energy is different and I feel really up for stuff more up for stuff then and that's kind of quite practical like on a sort of more magical level like I work with my cycle as a way of supporting me to navigate change and I use my cycle as a tool for enabling me to let go of stuff so I might really try and like consciously and with intent each time I bleed, I'm letting go of something that I know no, I no longer need. Mm-hmm. You know, the cycle gives us these opportunities to just keep every month having, or every you know every cycle, however long your cycle is, having these like little deaths, these little like cycles of letting go and being reborn again. There's some really juicy stuff in there in terms of like working that magically, whatever that means for you. Mm-hmm. Folk magic emerges in different ways for different people and. I think we're in a time now where people are starting to really explore that stuff more 
I really strongly believe that we make our own meaning and magic from that stuff. We don't, we don't have to kind of like align with anybody's particular rules about how to do that. So if you've got a menstrual cycle, you can, there's, there's that cycle to work with for other folk um, who don't bleed. It might be really fun and useful to work with the lunar cycles. Um, and I really encourage people to go beyond the, the mainstream narratives about what working with the lunar cycles look like. You know, like there's a lot of stuff written about lunar cycles and what I want to invite people to do is to cultivate their own relationship with, with the moon and mm-hmm. what those phases mean to them. So there's that. And then I also think that we can look at the whole wheel of the year and look at the festivals of the year, align life with the, with the solstices and the equinoxes. There's lots of ways of doing that. There's lots of stuff written about that already. And then there's also opportunities for us to start crafting new meanings from that wheel of the year and really work with it in an intimate way that is our own. I think working with the wheel of the year can be really, really potent because it enables us to have these regular pauses in, you know, in, this, in the year that are like still points where we can reflect allow ourselves to just drop stuff for for a moment and in this you know as we well know in this kind of linear capitalist colonial patriarchy (laughs) it's very very you know it's very very seductive to just keep going go 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 the whole time without stopping and pausing and so I think aligning ourselves with a kind of cyclical way of being and these different cycles that are going on around us all the time is magical. It's a way of doing magic. It's a way of creating restoration for ourselves, restoration and renewal. I, I also think it's a it's an act of embodied resistance to to those capitalist, colonial, patriarchal ways of being. Thank you. So if someone's listening and thinking this all sounds amazing and magical, but I don't really know where to start. And it's easy for us to assume that people know because so many people are talking about the cycles now. So for those people who are menstruators, just very simply, what are the four different phases? And are there any, like maybe one practical tip for each phase or piece of advice to get started? Sure. So really, really basically, the four phases of the menstrual cycle, mm-hmm. menstruation, pre-ovulation, ovulation, and then the premenstrual phase. Um, and a really helpful tool to kind of reconsider those uh, phases is to think about them as the seasons of the year. So menstruation becomes winter, pre-ovulation spring, ovulation summer, and premenstruum is autumn. And when we think about those seasons of the year, they each have their own kind of qualities and energies and things that we like to do typically during those times. So in the winter, you know, we might like to kind of stay in and get cozy and rest more. And then just as it starts to get lighter and spring arrives, we might start kind of thinking about coming out a bit more and planning and and thinking about the summer and the rest of the year ahead. In the summer, that's kind of high energy. There's more light. We're out in the world. Autumn, it's when plants are dying back the the trees are losing their leaves it's very much a phase of kind of letting go 
and bedding down in preparation for the winter again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of like simple framework of like putting the seasons of the year on top of the menstrual cycle, you can start to see how there's like, there's an in, there's a rhythm that mm-hmm. we start working with and shaping our actions and behaviors around that rhythm. I feel like I've just described that in a really clunky way, but I'm hoping that you'll, I'm trusting that your listeners will like get what I'm talking about. Oh, a hundred percent. Because I think the be- beauty of what you're saying is that there is this kind of simple framework for thinking about menstruation and cycles. Ultimately though, it's down to the person experiencing it to create their own meanings, interpretations for that. Because there are some people who on, when they start their period or their bleed they won't do anything and they'll rest and that is in alignment with winter but I often personally have found that that's the day I decide I want to go for a run randomly I have no idea why but that's maybe it's for the the the, the cramps because you know movement can help that who knows yeah the thing is it's not having again it's not turning a framework into something linear all over again because i think it's too easy to go oh there's this set of rules i'm on my period i must do nothing that's not what it's about it's about giving ourselves the power to create our own meaning and create our own experiences that feel right and good for us because ultimately we are the ones that know ourselves best and the more we take time out to pause and reflect at the different points in the year and at different points in the month, the more awareness we have and the deeper our relationship with ourselves. And I think ultimately that's what's really powerful because then you kind of connect into why you're here in the world, what you need. That then gives you, I don't know, more confidence and maybe clarity about what what changes you then want to go out and affect in the world and you show up differently and you show up more in a more grounded way and I often talk about the the willow tree versus the oak tree you know and like the willow just being blown all over the place and it's it's taking those moments out to pause reflect and tune in that that really give us that oak tree grounded presence and I feel like if more of us showed up in that way in the world we could have more open conversations without having to wobble all over the place because it's like you know it's shaking us and I feel like that's powerful. I think, you know, ultimately working with cycles and working with the menstrual cycle enables us to just cultivate a real intimacy and kindness, self-compassion for ourselves, because we are cyclical creatures who experience all the emotions and we're not just like flatlining the whole time. We're, you know, just monotone. We, we feel stuff. And I think when we work with cycles, with and particularly with the menstrual cycle, we can trust that things will pass. Things might feel really difficult now, but it will pass. I think the other thing that just I want to say is that for people out there who are kind of wondering, well, like how do how do you start doing this? Okay, so there's like there's a framework in terms of thinking about the seasons, but I would say like the the most straightforward thing you can do is just start tracking your own cycle being super kind and patient with yourself about that because you know not everyone has a regular cycle mm-hmm. um, cycles vary in length pretty wildly and um, a lot of this narrative about cycle awareness often forget sort of forgets to mention that 
you know, not everyone does have a regular cycle. And so mm -hmm. if you're charting and trying to work with your cycle, it's a lot harder if your cycle isn't regular. Mm -hmm. um, kind to ourselves about this work. And am I right in thinking, so if you don't have a cycle, you could track with the moon in terms yeah. of your emotions and how you're feeling and just see how that yeah. works. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I'm guessing for those who don't, who are listening, who have no idea about the moon cycles, very briefly, I think it tracks similarly, right, in terms of the new moon is, when there's no moon in the sky, like not visibly, <laughs> it's there. It's there, but we can't, it's there, but we can't see it. <laughs> and that's the equivalent of winter, and often that gets yeah. mapped to like your cycle. Yeah, to like the when that you winter phase. Yeah, winter phase. Yeah. And then you, I'm not so good with the quarter moons. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> so for the listeners, I'm not so good for the quarter moons, but it it does map in terms of then I guess the half moon is like spring. And then you yeah. move over to the full moon being like the summer because you've got the bright energy in the sky. Well, you've got the brightness in the sky and yeah. the moon becomes more powerful with the waves, etc. It starts to wane and then yeah. your energy is reducing and then it goes back to the new moon. And I think that can be a really useful cycle to work with as well because there are those of us who menstruate with the new moon mm. who totally align with that winter energy. Everything's winter, mm. winter, winter. But then if you actually menstruate around the full moon, it's quite interesting because, well, for me, how I experience it is like my brain is full on full moon energy, like lots of ideas, difficulty sleeping, but my body's like, yeah, but I'm tired over here. And so there can be this kind of push pull in a way of, ah, what do I do? Like, how do I negotiate those different energies? And again, it is finding what works for you, but I think, Regardless of your feelings around the moon, again, it, the moon cycles are another invitation to just mm. press pause and check in with yourself, Absolutely. see where you're at, what do you, you know, listen to your body. I always say the body whispers before it screams, and mm. that's a popular saying, and it's just so true, and it's just taking those times to tune into that. I feel like we have covered a lot, and also right. only covered, the, uh, only scratched the surface. <laughs> There are so many things. There is just so much to talk about, isn't there? And like you said, it feels like we've talked about loads and yet we've only just really scratched the surface. So something else that's really interesting that you talk about, which is something that resonates with me that I talk about too, is caterpillar soup. Now, is does that come from reading Martha Beck's Finding Your North Star or does it come from somewhere else? No, it, just, it didn't come from that. Yeah, it, um, it came from a teacher of mine that I worked with, you know, in the in the metamorphosis of the butterfly, we put loads of emphasis on that moment, that emerging moment when the butterfly appears and it's like, ah, oh, they're at the other side. But we forget about the butterfly soup, the, the messy, just churning, mm -hmm. soupy bit where you're not quite caterpillar and you're not quite butterfly. Exactly. And a lot of people don't actually know that, like the caterpillar does like completely dissolve. Yeah. And it might start to reform into a butterfly, but it might dissolve again. And I feel like that's mm. such a useful like way of thinking for us humans because yeah. it isn't such a linear process of A to B caterpillar wakes up as butterfly. <laughs> yeah. And often I think in society we focus so much on the butterfly, like, oh, they made six figures overnight. Oh, look at them. They're 
like they look amazing or whatever or they've just written a book and it's like wildly successful it's like forgetting that actually there's this whole soupy period of like might be five years ten years yeah where they've actually had to do a lot of work a lot of emotional things face fears be courageous yeah that's messy and you can feel lost and yeah that's part of it but it's a lot less sexy and a lot less appealing Oh, it's so less sexy, isn't it? It's like, and it's really fucking hard to talk about. And but I love it when people talk about it, and I love it. I want to talk about it more. I feel like there are so many aspects of me that are just constantly, you know, are still in process. I think that's the things like butterfly soup. There are like little, there might be facets of you that emerge, and then there are always soupy facets of us that are still being worked into something. But this culture just it prizes the butterfly and it prizes that narrative and I really want to challenge that I really would love for more of us to talk about our soupy moments and be with each other in our soupiness <laughs> I just so that, that could be a whole other podcast soupy <laughs> moments, soupy moments. <laughs> um, and I still feel like I'm in soup I'm you know I'm still really emerging after a very strange time after my brother died and making sense of grief and what it's like to yeah to kind of live with such a a profound loss and I guess tying this back into cycle work you know my cycle has been a incredible tool in helping me navigate my grief Um, and I definitely would like to do more more work you know helping folks think about how to navigate grief using cycles Mm. but that's probably in a conversation for another day going off in another direction (laughs) yeah yeah i imagine that work is needed a lot more work i think is needed just in this western industrial culture around accepting death and Mm -hmm working with grief and loss we've been such a death avoidant and grief avoidant culture for so 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 long that's problematic there's an mm-hmm. and the that are starting to show up in different places now yeah i agree uh, well this is something powerful isn't there about facing fears and i think death is such a massive mm. massive elephant in the room really because just it happens at some yeah. point it will happen to all of us yeah and I think with social media as well, it is becoming more present in a mm. way because you you see it more often than people who have died by suicide or just people dying, it's shown everywhere and then there'll be, their accounts are still alive and that's all a bit weird. And there's this sense of, I don't know, like death being very present, but not having the tools as a society to really deal with the impact of grief because i think grief is one of the most powerful emotions that we can experience as humans it's it is profound Mm. like for those of us who've experienced death of like close people it um yeah it comes in waves it's it can be like a roller coaster you can be fine one minute and it completely floor you the next and that this is where linear living really doesn't work like you exactly. have to embrace some kind of cycle yeah whatever the cycle works for you but there has to be that yeah permission yeah. to go with that flow and having tools resilience tools as well mm. so that you know 
what you need to look after you because everyone needs different things at different times there is not a one fix all unfortunately we can't just take a pill and it go away we yeah. need to work with these um as teachers mm. ultimately but yes oh definitely for, for another time it's so interesting that we've ended up talking about death and grief and actually there's such a similarity i think and there's a there's a yeah, there's a resonance between the fear that we have of talking about menstruation and the menstrual cycle um, and, the, and the shame and taboo that the cycle has, has lived under for so long. And the same kind of, you know, we're very avoidant about periods, aren't we? Like, as a, I mean, I'm not saying I am or you are, but like culturally, mm -hmm. people don't want to talk about periods. And I think it's a, I think it's a very mm -hmm. similar kind of um, discomfort and fear that we have about talking about death and aging and that's another cycle isn't it like a hundred percent and i think i think part of the missing piece is also the rituals oh yeah and mm -hmm. that that part of it the because as humans it's really important like at, at a fundamental level to i think acknowledge things in some kind of ritualistic way mm ceremonies are important it's why we have things like funerals and weddings yeah. and yeah those bits that have, that have kind of been lost like we might still have certain ceremonies but actually the depth of meaning that would have once been attached to those ceremonies are not there in the same way they are becoming more popular again people are starting to explore explore them and again that's why i like and maybe it is a bit basic I know it'd be interesting to talk more about the lunar cycles but even just in the most basic way working with the moons of like release yeah and inviting in yeah because it's just it's a very simple practice for people to start consciously thinking about what it is they're releasing what it is they want to see more of in their life and but on a deeper level and you yeah. can start bringing simple rituals in that way because I think rituals can feel scary to humans as well because you know witchcraft and stuff <laughs> you know there, there's been a lot of demonizing of like rituals uh, historically yeah. so some people might find that a little bit scary other people completely embrace the magic and I imagine yeah. a lot of our listeners embrace the magic but they might also just not know different things so I guess a really good question maybe to end on mm before I ask you the questions I ask everyone. <laughs> if people want to know more about folk magic, where, where would you suggest they start with? I'd say working with the seasons of the year, working with the lunar cycle, no, just noticing, paying attention to, that, to those rhythms is a really great start. It's a start of a conversation that will go on for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Tapping into the folk stories and the folklore of the land that you live on can mm -hmm. be really potent and really interesting. Folk magic for me is about just asking and listening and asking the spirits of the plants and the land around me and listening to what they have to say. And so in that sense, folk magic is about learning to listen and 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 that that just takes practice we just have to just keep practicing that more and we end up listening with our kind of whole bodies my listening comes in like 
you know, I might not hear things, but I might feel it in my body. Right. So to finish, I have a few questions I ask everybody. Firstly, what are you most grateful for right now? Oh, wow. Right this moment, I'm really grateful for my partner and my daughter and the network of really incredible friends that we have around us. Um, Yeah, just feel so grateful to be supported and loved uh, by so many different folk in so many different ways. Thank you. And what is one of your favorite ways to practice self-care? Working with my cycle. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. And who is inspiring you right now? What's inspiring me? Um, I just want to give a really big shout out to Bleeding Thunder, who are a a crew in the States that have just published a, um, a zine about trans and genderqueer experiences of menstruation they are really inspiring me and when I discovered them a couple of weeks ago I just was so hyped and so thrilled to know that there were other folks out there who want to talk about non-cis perspectives on menstruation Um, and that zine is exquisite there are just so many beautiful voices in that publication that's inspiring me and when I meet other folks talking about just queer centered approaches to this stuff I get it just thrills me that's so that's yeah that's really inspiring me right now thank you and so for the listeners if they haven't heard the term cisgendered cis female cis male before yeah what does it mean so to be uh, to be cisgendered is for your gender to align with the sex that you were assigned at birth so if you were um, assigned female at birth and then you, um, you're raised and you identify as a, as a woman, you're cisgendered. And, and just to say, like, I'm no expert on this shit. Like, I'm just like an, one person just reading up and learning, learning as well. And um, I've worked with folks who are really, really um, brilliant at talking about gender who would probably explain that stuff much better than me. But, um, you know the beauty is we're having this conversation now and there will be people listening and they might see these terms but not actually know and it is you know once upon a time this is how communities learned through word yeah. of mouth and yeah. I really think we need to recenter that a little bit not to say obviously if you want to study to be a doctor you have to read the books <laughs> get the medical degree but I feel like so much wisdom has been lost through um centering books and academia and everything but there is magic in our hedges there is like there is medicine but we don't know about it because we're not exposed to that kind of knowledge anymore and again that's another conversation yeah another day and it's a big conversation but the wisdom within community is really rich and we just need to own it Mm. and share it and not feel like it needs to be perfect to share Mm. it so thank you Tell us about a book that's had an impact on your life now, if I may. I wanted to ask about the Wise Wound book because you mentioned that that was quite um, an important book for you. So the Wise Wound was written by the people whose names I can't remember now, Penelope Shuttle and I think it's Peter Redgrove. I should know this. Like it's on my bookshelf just over there. And um, they, I think they wrote it in the eighties. I will just say that like it's perspective is, 
pretty heteronormative and cisnormative um, by today's standards. They're a couple and they were just riffing and writing essays about different aspects of the menstrual cycle and its power and its magic. And there's a really interesting chapter about menstruation and witchcraft and it's kind of academic in some parts, but it's, it's kind of hard to explain what it's about because it's about so many things, mm -hmm. but effectively it just, it, it centers conversations about menstruation and opens up the possibility of the magic of menstruation and the power of it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that, that book really, really influenced me when I was, when I was in my twenties. It was like the first time I think I'd heard people talking about the menstrual cycle in magical terms. So finally, if you could tell the listeners one thing, what would it be? Mm, wow. <laughs> this is a real challenge for me. I'm not very good at being succinct. Um, <laughs> How do you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, if I could tell you one thing, it would be that you are a cyclical being living in a linear world, in a world that wants you to be linear. There is power in noticing that. There's personal power and collective power in noticing that. And the more of us that notice that, something magical starts to happen. Oh yeah, I 100% agree. Thank you so much for sharing that. Before you go, what are you currently working on and how can listeners find out more about you and your current work? So at the moment, I'm working on a, a way of working with the menstrual cycle that um, centres navigating change. And if listeners would like to find out more about my work, then you can find me on Instagram at no.your.cycle. That's where I'm at at the moment. Okay, thank you so much, Lottie. It's been such a joy to have these conversations. I know there have been many conversations in one. And so thank you so much and have a wonderful rest of the week. Ah, oh, thank you, Lisa. Honestly, I'm just so thrilled to have spoken to you. Thank you so much. It's been a real gift to be invited here. And I'm just really delighted that you wanted to hear some of the stuff that I have to say about these ideas. And it's been just really fun riffing with someone else who's on you know on a similar tip about a lot of this stuff so thank you thank you for listening to the brave hearts rising podcast if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe and leave a rating and if you would like to receive my nourishing notes and reminders to be kind to yourself as well as keep up to date with any future events and offerings you can head over and sign up at www.lisapasco.com forward slash say hello as always, remember to be kind to yourself and have a wonderful week. Bye.